Today on the show, we reveal we've been editing these episodes with our atrophied legs. Uh-huh. Also, we are aliens? Yeah. Blorp. Glorp. <laughs> bop. Boop, bop. Beep, bop. Boop, robot bop. alien. Alien robots. <laughs> Beep, boop, bop. Glorp. <laughs> this intro will make so much more sense once you hear the rest of the episode. Yeah, I finish promise. the episode, then go back and listen to the intro again. It'll make sense. It'll be 10 times funnier. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Gam Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. My name is Leo. And folks, we hope you're hungry, because we got a big old platter mm. of yummy, nutritious, uh-huh. delicious uh-huh. spice morsels. They are both keto-friendly. Vegetarian, vegan, and gluten-free, somehow. That's right. But before we get into them, let's handle our housekeeping quickly. Today's episode will contain spoilers through to the beginning of God Emperor of Dune. So, make sure you're at least caught up with the public feed of the book club for God Emperor of Dune. First three books and the first, like, five, six chapters of God Emperor of Dune before you listen. That's right. And if you need to know what that is, check the episode right before this one in the public feed. Yeah. That's where you want to make sure you've read up to. Yep. (laughs) Easy. And of course, at the top of the show, we must shout out our Kwisatz Haderach level patron, Case Aiken! Case Aiken! (laughs) 25 minutes of that sound. (laughs) Let's go. Case, thank you so much for your generosity and for your support. And that gratitude extends to all of our patrons and, in fact, to all of our listeners who tune in to these episodes and help make this show possible. Thank you so much. It's true. Thank you so much. Okay, so this episode. Today's episode is entirely spice morsels akin to, oh, I don't know, the previous spice morsel episodes. (laughs) And we're going to be exploring the nooks and crannies of the Dune universe and the Dune Encyclopedia. You know, those entries that maybe are a little hard to make into full episodes, but are still worth talking about. That's right. So without further ado, our plates are full, Leo. Let's do it. Spice morsel number one, Otto Aramshan. Another human morsel. Good, 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 good. That's right. That's right. Yum, 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 yum. (laughs) Now that name might sound familiar to some listeners and for other listeners, that name might entirely go above your head. And that's A-OK, because he's a relatively minor character all the way back from the first book. Yeah. So if you'll recall, Otto Aramsham is the Sardaukar captain that infiltrated Gurney's smuggler crew and was subsequently captured by Paul Svedekin Yeah. after Paul and Gurney reunited in the first book. Now, we aren't told anything about Otto's life before Arrakis, before he enters into the story in the first book. But the Dune Encyclopedia does tell us a little bit about what happens after. Yeah. And for the most part, it's a bit of a bummer. Our guy Otto 
is devastated by the shame of being captured by Paul and being captured by these Fremen. He's a Sardaukar, remember? He's a Sardaukar captain. Yeah. And to be captured in this way, and then not to be killed in battle, which I would assume would be the honorable way for a Sardaukar captain to go. No, no, no. Paul lets him live and, in fact, uses him as a mere messenger boy right. to deliver a message back to his enemies. That shame lives with Otto for the rest of his life. And we're told in the encyclopedia that he is returned to Seleucia Secundus in disgrace after that whole incident. And he spends the rest of his life obsessed with his failure. Yeah, a forced sabbatical is never a great look. <laughs> They're like, we're going to put you on unpaid leave back to Seleucia. Yep, yep. Put your badge on the counter, Otto. Very embarrassing, very embarrassing. So the Dune Encyclopedia tells us that Otto goes on to write something called the Sardaukar Strike, which is a, quote, manic and highly jingoistic history of the soldier fanatics, end quote. <laughs> I like the idea of wow. a disgraced captain being like, well, being a Sardaukar didn't work. Maybe I'll be an author. And he rolls up his, like, blood-soaked sleeves, <laughs> gets out his old typewriter. <laughs> right. I was going to say typewriter. Must be a typewriter. <laughs> like one poorly spelled page at a time <laughs> yes exactly that's exactly how i imagined the sardaukar strike was written and thus published now being an author is only one part of the rest of his life what is perhaps more significant is that he also goes on to found an extremist group of disenchanted Sardaukar. So presumably he links up with other Sardaukar, much like himself, that are maybe no longer part of the fold and are certainly no longer drinking the Kool-Aid. And this group comes to be known as the Final Force, and they are significant because they go on to join a coup of other groups against Leto II, the God Emperor, and get pretty damn close to assassinating him. Yeah. They certainly get close enough to scare the pants off of Leto too. Yeah. I was going to say, we talked, didn't we talk about the Final Force and this little troop of Sardaukar? They're led by a Duncan Idaho Gola, aren't they? They are. Yeah. Like it was. Yeah, a little crossover with our Duncan episode. Yeah, because it was like Duncan was kind of in cahoots with, was it a Carino woman? Or something. Yeah. And like an undercover Benny Jesuit. Yeah. Like it, it sounds like the most amazing spy <laughs> thriller yeah. assassination movie ever. Yeah. But this Sardaukar extremist group known as the Final Fours were wrapped up in that as well in this attempt to assassinate Leto. And it's really fun to know that Otto played a role, a key role in the Final Force being created and in that assassination attempt. You know, I, I suspect we'll never get like a God Emperor of Dune adaptation uh, or mm -hmm. even like, I don't know, tales between the books or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. if, you know, going into part two, if we see a Sardaukar captain captured, there's Otto Aramsham. That's right. There he is. That's Otto. There he so is. So if, uh, if you see sweet, sweet Timothy Chalamet in March or whenever we get the movie, capture a Sardaukar commander, that's Otto. And he's going to go on to not be happy <laughs> he's gonna go on to write a book <laughs> by you know can't really probably not a new york times bestseller no. but a, a book you know <laughs> he's like how do i spell sardaukar <laughs> fuck 
<laughs> it's okay. You probably don't. You what's the name of your book? Zardacar Strike. Oh, <laughs> oh well. Fuck. <laughs> best of luck. <laughs> right. Google Docs doesn't even autocorrect Zardacar. You know, it no. doesn't know it. The autocorrect was banned at the Great Convention. <laughs> Clippy was one of the first AIs to get put down. That's right. That's right. Okay, let's let's wrap up Otto's life real quick. Otto, we're told, died a bitter, bitter man who never overcame his shame and his self-hate. It lived with him for the rest of his life. And what's interesting about his death is that the circumstances of how exactly he croaked are a little bit hazy. One sort of wild theory posits that he died of wounds received when he attacked Count Fenring and Lady Fenring. Wow, what? <laughs> as they returned to Seleucia Secundus following Shaddam's defeat at the end of the first book. Yeah. So apparently he was grievously wounded in some way and died later of those wounds. This theory doesn't really hold water. And even the encyclopedia itself goes on to say that both the timing of this theory and the circumstances don't line up. And there are more acceptable historical records within the Dune universe that point to the fact that Otto very likely committed ritual suicide due to his shame and self-hate and his anger after the events of his life and what happened with Paul and the Fidekin. Yeah, I suspect if anybody is aware of how deadly Fenring is, it would be a Sardaukar person. Yeah. Like someone on the <laughs> Imperial Sardaukar. Like, right, right. Again, the random person in the crowd is like, I don't know who that guy is, but a Sardaukar person probably knows who Fenring is. And I don't, th I don't see him attacking. Definitely. Well, rest in peace to a powerful author <laughs> who did nothing really else significant in his life. <laughs> Our next morsel, moving on from that, yeah. is the Crompton Ruins. Now, the Crompton Ruins is fascinating because this stands as one of the few, like, maybe examples, or it's the sort of thing that comes to mind when people ask, are there aliens in Dune? Because the answer is no. But right. the Crompton Ruins do come to mind for good reason. It all begins, the story of the Crompton Ruins begins with an exploration guild ship captained by Levas Crompton mm -hmm. in 14,701 AG. So this is well after the events of most of what we're ta we've talked about in our book clubs. Right. Now, on the furthest borders of human space, right, out on the fringes of the galaxy, Captain Crompton and his crew found a planet that seemed pretty ideal for colonization. Like, seems like, oh, yeah, this is a sweet spot. Yeah. And they registered it with the guild for a discovery bonus, which is a fun little bit of uh, world building. Find a nice planet, yeah. tell the guild about it, they'll give you a sweet kickback. Hell yeah. Now, routine follow-up expedition to the planet. A year later, confirmed Crompton's findings, but also they found something wild. Yeah. Quote, they discovered the presence of something that looked like an artificial structure nearly a kilometer Ooh. across on the shore of the largest lake on the central continent. End quote. What the fuck? It's the sound of aliens. Yeah. It's, it's spooky season. Spooky season, October. <laughs> yeah. So they find this, it's like a synthetic materials. They're like, what the fuck? 
So they check with the guild. They're like, yo, guild, didn't we just discover this planet? What, what is this? And the guild's like, we don't know. There's no record of any guild travel to that planet. So they're like, oh, shit. Aliens. <laughs> it must be aliens. The fucking meme of the guy from the History Channel who's like, aliens. <laughs> you know? It's not like they yeah. just stacked rocks on top of each other. It's like, no, no, no. Aliens. And news of aliens in the universe spread like wildfire. Everybody is so yeah. excited. They're like, they got their commemorative alien foam fingers. You know, they're like <laughs> beer hats with the, the yes. tubes. You know, all the merch was crazy. Alien mania. Alien mania. Takes the galaxy by storm. It it really did. It really did. Now, one of the questions to answer is how old is it? When was it built? The age is between three and 5,000 years old, hmm. which is the beginning of where skeptics start being proven right. Yeah. And that's where the sort of alien mania falls apart. Oh. Because Leto to Atreides, his journals that he left in Dar es Balat, basically pull the kind of Jenga block from the alien mania Jenga tower. Yeah. So an archaeologist named Juna Kritapar noted that this building that Leto hid all of his journals within, this no room, if it were a freestanding structure, like built on the surface of the planet and not like buried, it would look exactly like the Crompton <laughs> ruins. Like, oh no, shockingly. And yeah, we get this quote, quote, with the exception of the omission of the No Room's eighth floor, from an overhead perspective, the Crompton structure is identical in form and proportion to the No Room. End quote. Wow. So, yeah, Leto fucking built a secret building on a planet that no one else had been to at some fucking point. <laughs> in the last three to five thousand years at some point <laughs> and yeah just during his rule during his long 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 lifetime he built the crompton ruins we don't know why the real question at the end of all of this is why how when <laughs> leto built this structure why why did he do it right and basically no one was able to answer those questions plus it was kind of overshadowed by the discovery of dar Espelot, like all of this stuff and all the information it becomes kind of a footnote <laughs> of like okay here are like thirty thousand mind-blowing facts about the last five thousand years that you got fucking wrong also no aliens but anyway all of this other stuff and that's basically the legacy of crompton ruins um, right. I do want to point out that having it built meant that Leto had to like send construction crews to the planet and it, all in secret, like with in secret with no no ship technology. Potentially, it, it's wild. Like the the things that he had to do to get this done. Right, because he had to have built this thing outside of not just like normal spies within the Empire, not just normal Benny Gesserit know-how, but guild prescience. And then the structure got built, and then who knows what happened? Did the crew just live and die there? <laughs> Did they come back? What was this structure for? 
there's all of these countless questions about why Leto would do this. Because again, the rest of the planet is utterly barren. No signs of life, yeah, yeah, no yeah. other man-made or artificial structures of any kind. It is an utterly barren planet with one giant structure here on the main continent. Yeah, it's how he kept that secret pretty wild. My personal headcanon is he had to test the technology for the no room before he knew it would work on the Daris Balat. Oh, structure. you think this is a prototype? I think so. For what later became his own secret horde of journals and stuff. Yeah. I love that. So that's my first theory. My second theory is that he needed some portion of humanity to have the idea of aliens. He needed alien mania to be sparked in humanity in the 1400s for the golden mm, path. Like for the golden like path. Like what is yeah. what is an interest in aliens other than a desire to explore more? And isn't that part of the golden path as well? Part of the golden path, so, right? To expand. I think the humanity's board. the Crompton ruins wow. is is super cool. And uh it's super cool, yeah. And I'm I'm super uh yeah, every time someone's like, are there aliens in Dune? I'm like, oh the Crompton ruins. <laughs> oh, well, let me tell you a little something something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sit down for 25 minutes. I want to tell you about the Crompton ruins. <laughs> I love your theories. Those are really excellent theories. I think it, it could be either of those and perfectly fit into Frank's stories. You know, uh, all, all of that logically makes sense to me. My idea of it's his summer home is probably less <laughs> logical. They're like, and there was a mini <laughs> fridge fully <laughs> stocked with premixed Mai Tais. Is this an inside joke with someone or... Why are there so many Mai Tais? An, an Xbox mini fridge in this room? <laughs> what? Are those Heineken? He also has a G Fuel neon light. This it's is his like gamer bachelor pad. <laughs> There's a bong? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> that is the biggest bong we've ever seen. Right. Right. <laughs> the scientists are like studying the ruins. And they're like, oh, what is this? What is this sample? And it's like, Dorito crust <laughs> on the walls and on the couch. <laughs> Amazing just that like he Dorito left these chip crumbs here for us to analyze. <laughs> Flashback to him just like pounding chips as he's watching. <laughs> like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> he's watching Fast and the Furious 6. <laughs> this is the best well, one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, there's some theories for you folks. Some more viable than the others, but. All valid, I would say. Gamerpad, <laughs> totally possible. Yeah, can't prove it's not. <laughs> Alrighty, let's take a quick breather. But don't go anywhere, folks, because we have a couple more yummy, delicious, and very interesting morsels to share with you right after a quick break. So we will see you in just a minute. Stick with us. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you cleaned up the Dorito crust you left on the carpet, so archaeologists <laughs> don't get distracted. We got some more morsels for you. Let's get into them. And our next morsel is frigates. Yes. Shockingly, if you can believe it or not, Leo, we are a podcast about a science fiction novel, perhaps one of the best and most iconic science fiction novels ever. And yet over 150 plus episodes, we've almost never talked about the spaceship. I thought this was a sociology podcast, (laughs) like a religious (laughs) studies, is it not? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, kind of, yeah. Uh, on some level, it is. <laughs> Shit. But let's correct the record. Okay. Let's get nerdy about sci-fi stuff and talk about the frigates in the Dune universe. Yeah, let's do it. So the term frigate is just a generic word for any large ship that can land and lift off in one piece from a planet's surface. Having just a single term might make you think, oh, okay, so all frigates are basically the same ship because we're just calling them all by the same name. But that's not true at all. Frigates actually came in every shape and size. There are thousands of variations of frigates within the Dune universe. And the encyclopedia tells us that almost every house major and every house minor owned many different types of ships. Of course, the house major had more specialized and more expensive and probably more powerful ships. But Regardless of whether you were a major or minor house, everyone had frigates in their fleets. The frigates were the workhorses. So to dig a little bit deeper, let's briefly talk about the two most common types of frigates that the Dune Encyclopedia tells us. One is called steamships, and the other is called brats. Like the dolls, I guess? Although that's with a Z. This might be brats. Brats, because like oh. like a brat first, like like a sausage. <laughs> yeah, like if they're kind of sh- ships are kind of sausage, sausage shaped. shaped. Yeah, I mean, e- okay, like fucking Bezos has that dick rocket. That's kind of <laughs> he does have the dick rocket. <laughs> but yeah, okay, we'll call it between brats, brats and brats. I really feel <laughs> strongly we should say brats. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll uh, I'll follow your lead on that. <laughs> These are some sassy little ships. <laughs> they're brats. <laughs> What are you doing, ship? Going in space? Ugh, naughty. Ugh, naughty. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about steamships first real quick. The Dune Encyclopedia has (laughs) this whole paragraph that's full of basically silly sci-fi jargon that's not real about how steamships are powered and operated. But the gist is that there is some sort of fusion plant within the ship that heats some other sort of liquid compound, and thus we get the name steam, right? Steam ships create some sort of steam, and this powers the ship. This is how the ship accelerates and takes off, et cetera, et cetera. We're also told that the steamships were thus relatively cheap and easy to maintain. But the downside to powering your ship through this method meant that they were Fucking loud. (laughs) Uh Especially during takeoff. Like, they would rock your fucking socks off if you were the poor, you know, the 
people with the baton and the airports where they're like directing the plane. <laughs> mm. If you were that guy, this ship was going to blow your eardrums out. So that was the downside. These are really loud ships, but they are relatively cheap and easy to maintain. So steamships were a very common type of frigate. This does immediately make me want like steampunk spaceship video game. Yeah. Uh, like, I, yes. I know that like in, I don't know, the, the recent Callisto Protocol and some of those like big games, there are like steam pipes uh -huh. and things like that on ships that you, but like really a hanky janky steampunk video, like space video game would be really sick. Yeah, that would be so cool. I, I do love me some steampunk. Steampunk's rad. <laughs> Make it worse and louder. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I want to hit it with a wrench. <laughs> so let, let's talk about the brats. These are the other most common type of frigate in the Dean universe. And we are told that the way that brats are powered is that small fission bombs explode somewhere in the ship, in the engine or whatever. And this is what creates the momentum and, again, helps it accelerate, take off, etc., etc. Mm. But this also makes the brats much more expensive. It makes them faster. You get that benefit, but it makes them much more expensive. The other downside to a brat that you don't have with a steamship, because steampunk is fucking cool, <laughs> is that brats, every time they take off, leave a little bit of short-term radioactivity in their wake. Mm. So, I, you know, I'm no radiologist, uh -huh. but that doesn't sound particularly great for the people on the tarmac. Yeah. I wonder if it's just like you have to come and go in like protected tunnels to the launch zone. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's ways of counting yeah. for that, but that's Certainly. not great. <laughs> not great. Not generally what you want, no. But they are super fast. They'll be faster than your average steamship. So we're told that they were also quite popular in many fleets for the house major and minor. With their extra radiation, they'll get you to where you're going and to the uh, grave yeah. twice the speed. <laughs> twice as twice fast. Twice as fast. Right. If you're here for a good, not a long time, <laughs> brats are for you. Burn your life twice as bright, <laughs> half as long. Get a brat. <laughs> Serve up a hot brat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a couple more fun little details about frigates in the Dune universe. We're told that frigates were ideal for intersystem travel. So if you are staying within your system and just hopping from perhaps planet to planet, frigates are your go-to. But because of the Spacing Guild monopoly on interstellar travel, none of these frigates actually had the capability to do so. Right. So your average frigate was never used to actually travel in between systems right? because right. the Spacing Guild either was the only people that had that technology to do so or they stopped that technology from being used in anything but their own ships. Sure, yeah. That being said, though, and I found this real interesting, frigates have endured the test of time. So other specialized ships like the Guild Highliners, the things that were used for said interstellar travel, all went the way of the dinosaur after Leto came in, made sweeping changes over thousands of years to the Galactic Empire, and basically made a lot of those technologies in those ships moot. Right. The frigate, however, exists to this day, even post 
Leto 2 Empire. Oh, yeah. The good old reliable frigate is still taking people from planet to planet. That's cool. I dig that. Yeah. Sometimes, Leo, hmm. simple and reliable is better than shiny, fast, and new. Yeah, but always steampunk is cooler than simple. <laughs> always, always <laughs> steampunk. Six times more complicated and yeah. needs to be hit by a wrench every few minutes. Anyway, let's talk about uh, let's talk about <laughs> our final morsel. That's right. And if you like <laughs> sci-fi bullshit jargon, then this next one <laughs> continues to deliver the goods. We're going to be talking about Leto's Royal Cart. Oh. I know. Now, the Dune Encyclopedia only gives us one page on the cart, on Leto's cart, but every other paragraph is just delightful. Uh, it's just a fun yeah, time. it is. And one detail that is revealed, I refuse to accept. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> even though this is like second-tier canon, no, I don't like it. Yeah. And I'll let you all guess which one that is. <laughs> and then I'll tell you explicitly <laughs> right after. Um, so to be clear, although the existence of the cart was common knowledge, specific details about it were shockingly sparse at the time of God Emperor of Dune. Luckily for the universe, and of course for us, Leto left behind some notes in Doris Balat saying, here are the details about my cart. And how cool it is. Look how, how look how fucking Amazing. rad my cart is. It's dope. <laughs> cart tour. Let's start with the basics. Here's what the uh the Dune Encyclopedia tells us. Now, the cart has four wide wheels that could be dropped mm -hmm. when ground conditions were favorable. And for all other times, six suspensor bubbles, which ran on little generators like small field generators that use the Holtzman effect cool automatically set to counteract whatever weight of the cart is and all occupants love it that's sci-fi baby hover cart it is sci-fi yep <laughs> now the cart is actually battery powered which i thought was what fucking hilarious every few <laughs> months it needs a new wafer battery uh which i think is literally a watch battery isn't it Ah, okay. So, I mean, I can't imagine it's that size anymore for a cart as big as this one is. It has to be a big battery. I'm imagining, I don't know, a extra large pizza size battery, something like that. Anyway, <laughs> yes. <laughs> every few months it needs a new battery. And although apparently, and the Dune Encyclopedia said this, I don't exactly understand how this could be other than like maybe a second reserve battery or something. Apparently, even with the battery removed, the cart could continue running for a few days on stored power. Yeah. That's not the interesting part here. The interesting part here is the suspensor bubbles because these, until Daris Balat, were basically dis disproven. Almost like historians were like, that's bullshit. They did not have yeah. suspensors on that cart. It floated by magic more likely than suspensors. <laughs> and we should talk about why. <laughs> yeah. Now, at the time of the Daris Balat discovery, historians had basically concluded, yeah, it being on Holtzman Field suspensors is bullshit. And this was like a consensus across many historians who are alive and active at the time. Right. 
And additionally, in the public record are eyewitness accounts of the bottom of the cart being shot by a laser gun. Well, there you have it, folks. So there you have it, right? There's no atomic explosion. There was a laser gun blast hit the bottom of the cart where supposedly there are Holtzman field generators, and yet there was no atomic explosion. So, right, couldn't be, you know, QED could not be. Yep. That being said, the Doris Balot documents revealed that the Holtzman field generators powering the suspensor bubbles were shielded by, quote, refracted magnetic fields as a safeguard against laser gun attacks, end quote. Wow. What will they think of next? Shields. For your Holtzman shields. <laughs> you got a Holtzman field you need to protect from laser guns? There is a shield for that. And the fucking yeah. craziest part of this is that the technology at the time of the discovery of Daris Balat was thought to be impossible. And yet it right. was being used by a cart for 3,000 years in the middle of like some of the biggest <laughs> public events in the, in right. the universe. Come look at the giant worm on the cart being powered by secret technology. It's Amazing. wild. And again, this is an Ixian cart. So the Ixians at some point developed shields, magnetic shields that could protect Holtzman fields from laser guns and didn't tell anybody even after the events of God Emperor of Dune in the thousands of years after. I am so curious about how Leto got them to keep the secret. Yeah, right. A, a thing that fundamentally changes shielding technology and warfare forever? Changes everything. Is kept secret. Yeah. It's wild. Very, 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 very interesting. Um, now, the, the little detail they give, which I really appreciated as well, because I like this kind of stuff, is that the magnetic fields, this shield for the Holtzman generators, when they are hit with a laser gun, they either fully absorb the blow if it's like glancing or if it's a full-on attack, full-on hit, and they're overloaded, quote, a fail-safe mechanism instantly vaporized the Holtzman generator in a puff of orange-yellow smoke, end quote. Very cool. And again, as always, we talk about this all the time, but to see the very subtle ways in which technology evolves across the books yeah is cool yeah because of course leto is going to be someone who's going to have fucking laser guns fired at him yeah he's the god emperor there will be assassination attempts he can't be walking around with a shield right because he's going to blow up if that happens and so the ixians create this failsafe it's very cool to see that evolution of technology over time super cool how about that other thing that he doesn't want people to know well this is the thing that i don't want anyone to know also <laughs> <laughs> uh this is this is the part i'm just gonna okay. no guessing needed i hate this uh this yeah. is the dumbest part of the entry and i hate it and i kind of love it for how much i hate <laughs> it this is on par with there are 300 pound heart mollusks in every ornithopter yeah Leto drives his cart controls it with his atrophied flipper legs oh uh-huh I kind of just want to let that sit for a minute. <laughs> so if you're, if you're driving, you might want to pull over. Yeah. If you're standing, sit down. If you're sitting down, stand up. If you're laying down, turn over, <laughs> roll over, thrash about <laughs> like a worm. Yeah. So, okay. Leto 
you can you can picture this. Leto approaches his cart. His legs, as we're told in the early parts of God Emperor, they've kind of migrated back along his body. He sort of like thwumps himself up onto the cart. Yeah. And slips his little atrophied flipper legs into control slots toward the rear of the cart. Uh-huh. And then drives the cart by moving them, quote, side to side for turns, up or down for acceleration or deceleration, and in specific opposing directions to activate special functions such as switching from wheel to suspensor mode, end quote. It's a rough image. It's inelegant is the way I think about it, right? Like the Ixians always create technology that feels so sci-fi and futuristic and elegant. Yeah. This feels like some intern cobbled together a solution to how to get the cart moving. Yeah. It also, my issue with it is that we also have the dick to tell, which takes Leto's thoughts yeah. directly and converts it to text, written text. So right. you already have basically a sort of mind link thing going on. I don't know why <laughs> yeah. that you couldn't just turn that text into, you know, a, a, a directional instruction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like command inputs for the carts computer to figure out, you know, just think the command. Yeah. And again, it's like, we know also he's playing with some forbidden outlawed technology. It just feels very like this is fun. Like a 300 pound heart mollusk inside of an ornithopter is not <laughs> probably as likely as just a fucking combustion engine. <laughs> it's just yeah. some other thing. Um, right. And also like, this is a problem we've solved because remote control car toys exist now. Yeah. And Leto still has hands. He could literally just have a remote control in his hand. And those don't take instead of this weird, like flipper yeah. mechanism. <laughs> and those don't take computers. They're just radio signals. Right. 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 Yeah. So there's, there's like already solutions to this problem. There are better, more elegant solutions to this problem that already exist. I.e. the dick to tell. Uh, I'm with you on this one. Yeah. Th this one feels a little silly and out there. But, you know, Dune Encyclopedia, awesome for it, makes us happy by giving us these weird little things. Now, to end this morsel, and basically this episode, we have a fun fact, which I kind of like about this cart. So, again, the cart was known, and uh, since thousands of years have passed, it's gone. No one's seen it. No one knows what it looks like in person. They kind of know from the oral history and maybe even official histories at this point. But it's this sort of thing that you've heard about, but maybe you haven't seen, right? Yeah. From the schematics and the notes in Dar es Balad, they are constructing a life-size mock-up of the cart. Amazing. At the time of the writing of the Dune Encyclopedia. So cool. So the quote here is, quote, a full-sized mock-up of Leto's cart is currently being built at the Discovery Museum on Rackus, end quote. That's so fun. The idea that there is a Discovery Museum on Rackus, which sounds like <laughs> the kind that would have like, oh, here's a like activity for the kids. And like, here's where you learn about the rain cycle. And here's where you yeah. like catch a scorpion. You know, it's the Science Discovery Museum at like any big. Yeah, it's Kosai. It's Kosai yeah. on Rackus. Exactly. The the Sandlot is just a re, like one sixteenth scale of the Surreir, you know? Like yeah, yeah. you go play in the Sandlot 
They have the needle. And uh, the needle. They have the needle. Of, you know, Litos. The little, the citadel. little citadel. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love the idea of a museum on Arrakis. And I really like this idea that they're recreating this mock-up of the cart. Because this is a thing that happens now. Yeah. You know, you visit museums today in the modern world, and there are recreations of what we think the technology was that people used a thousand years ago, right. 1500 years ago, 2000 years ago, you know? And the only reason we can recreate them is because of discoveries like this, where we find the schematics or the notes or a description or an image of the thing. And that gives us a greater understanding of how someone might have, you know, the technology they might have used to build the pyramids of Giza. And so we can try and create mock-ups and replicas of it. So it, it's very cool to think that the same thing happens to Leto's cart. Yeah. It's fun. And it's like, these are the it's sorts fun. of details that I love the Dune Encyclopedia for. It's just such a fun right. document. I'm so glad I own a copy. <laughs> anyway. And that's our episode, folks. Those are our morsels that's for it. today. But before we let you go, we've got our outro housekeeping. So quickly, let's get through it. Let's say, hypothetically, dear listener, you wanted to support us and support what we do here oh. at Gom Jabbar. You're like, hey, I like I uh -huh. like this kind of thing. Best way to support us is to become a patron at patreon.com slash gomjabar. In exchange, you get ad-free episodes, weekly blooper clips, uh, some extra little things here and there. You know, we'll, we'll share like TikTok videos, things like that with you early and exclusive little things. It's fun. And an invite to our exclusive Discord server where oh, oh, oh. we're hanging out, we're chatting. Uh, anytime anything happens, basically, <laughs> any news happens, it's there in the Discord. And then you get to see, you know, a couple hundred people respond to it in moment, which is fun. So yeah, it's a, it's a fun little community. Once again, that's patreon.com slash gomjabar please consider becoming a patron. That's right. And another great way to support the show is to actually buy yourself something nice. How about that? Check out our Dune-themed merch store at gumjabarshop.com, folks. We've got art, we've got apparel, mugs, a tote bag, and so much more, all with gorgeous, custom-designed Dune art made by Leo himself and some wonderful artists that we collaborated with it's a great way to support the show. It's a great way to treat yourself or a loved one or a lover or a neighbor or both <laughs> with something nice. Comjabarshop.com. All those neighbors you're sleeping with. Buy them shirts, <laughs> individual ones, so you can tell them apart. <laughs> Finally, we love to hear from you. So email us, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com and send us your thoughts and questions, your comments your concerns again we're pretty slow to respond but that's because it's just me and a boo <laughs> and we're awfully busy so gum to podcast at gmail well friends there is no real ending it's just the place where you stop the recording but this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on lordparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. We're also on TikTok at Gomjabar Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, 
Whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden path.